Hey folks, thank you for listening. Before we get started, we want to make a very special thank you to our Portal Maker patrons, Griffith Locke, Kayla, Leona, and Bill and Julie Ulrich. We couldn't do the show without folks like you. Thank you. Welcome to the Ages, Acolyte. We have so many portals, so many wondrous things to show you. But today, I think this one will be perfect. Welcome to the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series, where we talk about all the age, all the time. My name is Ren. Welcome to the show. Uh, our preamble is going to be rather quick today, because we haven't really got a lot to talk about uh, at the moment, at least by ourselves. Uh, at least I don't have a lot to talk about myself, but uh, if you follow the show for just a little bit longer, you're probably going to be hearing uh, an interview I had with Malcolm Shepard, uh, the gentleman who is currently leading the line for the uh, modern age line of age games. Uh, we have a lovely little conversation, and we'll get that out in a minute. Uh, but of course, we want to first do some of our typical preamble. So uh, bear with me here. Uh, I promise it's going to be uh, a good time. First, uh, of course, we're going to take a moment to uh, pay homage to our other members of the D20 Radio Network, the lovely collection of podcasters that we belong to and that we support and who support us. Uh, and this week, we wanted to make sure that we talk about the good folks uh, at the Story Told podcast, uh, folks who do a really excellent job uh, covering lots of role-playing games and hobbies. Uh, they'll usually talk about the games themselves and how they work. Uh, sometimes they'll get on... Uh, folks for who uh, worked on the games uh, to chat about the game itself or some changes that are coming to it and new additions and whatnot and usually they'll uh, go through a process where they create a character and then do some actual play to show you how the game works uh, most recently they did uh looks like uh fall of giara episode 26 oath of the elements uh an actual play of theirs that they're doing that you can actually follow on their on an obsidian portal portal the fall of giara that's j-i-a-r-a you can follow along with their with their uh, particular campaign, uh, and of course, you can find uh, the rules for the game that they are playing. Uh, they're playing Exalted Third Edition from Onyx Path Publishing, and um, you can of course support these folks through their Facebook and their Twitter, and follow them wherever you happen to get your podcasts. So in the news for Age, it looks like we've got quite a few adventures out that are available these days. Um, We've got the fourth chapter of the Five and Infinity Adventure uh, Adventure Path for Modern Age, and specifically the Threefold setting, uh, which is a delightful and very well thought out sort of speculative fantasy setting, I believe. Uh, you'll be hearing a bit more about it from uh, Malcolm Shepard in our interview later today. Um, but of course, uh, the 20th uh, anniversary of the Green Ronin came around, so they did a, uh, a sort of a revamp of one of their really early adventures 
adventures in one of their earliest settings of Freeport uh, was one of the things that helped put Green Ronin on the map. They did a revamp of it for the fifth edition of the uh, world's most famous role-playing game, uh, and most and uh, more, I suppose, uh, specific for us, there is a Fantasy Age version of Return to Freeport uh, that you can play right now. You can download it. I've taken a look at it. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, they might add some more, but they also, of course, leave it pretty wide open for folks who want to uh, elaborate on it a little bit. Um, and because we know that uh, the Freeport is going to be sort of the uh, quote-unquote default setting or kind of like the example setting that they'll include uh, when they eventually do make a Fantasy Age uh, core rulebook, uh, it is worth checking out. Uh, and of course, it's a fun little adventure. And uh, perhaps most uh, hilariously recently, uh, you'll hear that uh, now there's now on sale, uh, there's a modern age short adventure called Feral Hogs uh, that may have may or may not have been spawned by a meme, uh, but it is also an excellent adventure and I highly suggest you check it out um, so that you've got something to do when 30 to 50 feral hogs uh, come running to the front yard while your small children play. And that's all I've got for the news right now. And um, once again, uh, if you, if anyone out there is listening would like to send us questions that we can uh, take a quick stab at on the show, you can send us uh, questions through our email uh, at aegispodcast at gmail.com. That's A-G-E-I-S podcast, all lowercase one word at gmail.com. You can send us a message through our Facebook, our Twitter, or SoundCloud accounts, or you can send a personal message to Cot or Lease on the D20 Radio forums. And of course, uh, you can also find me, Cot the Protector, on the Green Ronin, uh, Green Ronin age-appropriate Discord uh, on Discord. Uh, and of course, uh, if you'd also like to share something that you have created for uh, for an age game uh, on the show and get it some and get it a little bit on our spotlight, we can we have a create fan creation spotlight segment we haven't done in a while. Uh, now we're calling it Peek Through a New Portal. Uh, and of course, uh, our past submissions you can still find uh, on our website, Aegis, uh, uh, aegispodcast.wordpress.com. There is a resources for there should be a resources for your game page uh, that'll take you to the various games. Uh, right now, we've really only got the stuff that we did for Dragon Age back when we were still the Wonders of Thetis, but you should still be able to access most of it uh, because the Green Running forums went down for down uh, a little while ago uh, due to security reasons. A lot of those links probably don't work anymore, so. Um, your mileage may vary with it, uh, although we still have uh, plenty of stuff that is available. A couple of adventures, uh, the PDFs of which are actually on the site, so you can still download them. Uh, and of course, if you'd like to send anything of yours in, you can send it to us through agespodcasts at, uh, at gmail.com. You can send it to us through Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud accounts, or send it to Cotley's on the D20 Radio forums or Cot the Protector on Discord. And now I believe it is time for today's lesson from the Nexus. Uh, please enjoy a little interview that uh, I conducted with Malcolm Shepard. We had a lovely time, talked a lot about modern age, and I hope to have him on again. Hope you folks enjoy. Welcoming to the Aegis podcast, we have uh, Malcolm Shepard from Green Roni, and thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I very much appreciate it. Yeah, um, Modern Age is one that I've been very excited to talk about. Uh, you, it's a, you, you cool to talk some Modern Age with me? I certainly am. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm in the middle of working on a modern age book right now. Oh man! And oh, man. there's uh, and there's the mastery guide that is sort of waiting in line for yes. uh, for production. Production is kind of what we call it when all the layout and art um, and proofing gets done. Gotcha. Right. So. Um, basically, in case your readers are interested, are would they be interested in knowing how a game supplement is made? <laughs> I'm, um, <laughs> I'm, sure that, I'm sure that a couple of folks would, and I'm I'm personally interested. Let's go. Okay, so um, basically, here's here's how it works. I'm the developer of Modern Age, so when I want to do a Modern Age book, the uh, first thing I do is uh, I see if. Uh, Green Onion's ownership thinks it's a good idea, um, which sometimes happens on the fly. But usually, actually around this time of year, um, we have a bunch of conversations um, about the direction of, of various game lines for, for the next few years. Okay. Right? So I do that outline, and that outline is everything I want to do in the book, and it's by chapter and sometimes section. Um, the next thing I do is, um, I hold on a second. I actually turn off my web browser because it's making dingy noises. All right, that's done. Uh, the next thing I actually do is, uh, is I look for writers. Um, right. So I will typically do a check of the book and then there will be freelancers. Um, who will do the rest of it? And uh, I generally want—I generally go for a mix of experience and new freelancers um, because I know, uh, you know, people need experience um, sure. to to do that kind of work in this industry. And also, one of the things that people especially um, need experience doing is writing letters um, and handing work in on time. And that is probably the single biggest thing because you have a lot of people um who are for example very comfortable writing in short form right mm -hmm. writing something like in 10 pages or less gotcha um so when i need someone to, you know i generally like it if someone can uh, produce about ten thousand words a month for me okay um on a freelance project and my and that is about that is a fraction of sort of the expected capacity of a professional, because I assume people are working on other things and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I do that, and then there's a cycle of writing and um, where a draft comes in, and then I redline it, which is uh, like, this is good, uh, this needs work, this needs to change, da, da, da. and then they hand back a final draft, um, and then I do sort of final development on that, and that can be anything from oh, these words should be slightly different to doing um, a large-scale rewrite of the material, gotcha. right? And that large-scale rewrite isn't necessarily because what I got back was bad. Right. It just right. may be that... Um, Not quite what you were looking for? Well, no, it's the, it, it, the way the book... Sometimes the book shapes up in ways differently than you mm. anticipate, right? Um, okay. I like freelancers to bring a lot of their own creativity. Um, it's, I don't like to do books where I'm just sort of relaying very strict marching orders. Um, I want people to bring in their own ideas. 
right? And sometimes that mixture of ideas means that um, I will have to change some things to conform to sort of what the current of ideas that has come up uh, is. So, um, so I do all that. Book. It goes into um, editing. And then it comes back to me for some final tweaks. And then it goes into the production process. And the production process is, like I said, it's layout. It's getting the art in. Oh, I have to do art notes, too. That goes okay. on a big spreadsheet, which is lots of closest headers to what I want. And things like, have a guy doing this thing. And of course, in modern age, uh, we actually have set iconics, right? Yes. So we have a set of characters that we use over and over again. Um, and so I'll often refer to those iconics. But after all that's done, then it goes into production. Um, and uh, where our sort of creative uh, director, uh, main designer, um, co-owner, Hal, um, sort of leads the process of turning it into a book. And then it goes into proofing. Um, and then it goes into all the operations, technical shipping things that are why you actually get the book. And it isn't just a collection of files on our cloud storage. And that's how that works. Very, very fun. <laughs> um, I'm very always happy to process. answer questions about that kind of thing, by the way. Oh, so, sure. um, okay. thanks for letting me go on about that. Hey, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I very much enjoy a lot of the art that comes through here. Um, what kinds of what kinds of prompts do you sometimes give for like art that goes into a book? Uh, do you get really specific, or do you leave a lot of room in some places? Or I, I like to leave it kind of loose. It depends on really what what it is. I mean, if it's a specific setting, then the requirements are much higher. Um, like for threefold, for example, the. Uh, Art document um, is about like there's about ten thousand words of guidance, before um, you know, and only a fraction of it is draw someone who looks like this. Gotcha. Right, because threefold has its own iconics, um, it has its own symbols. So like the sodality scarab um, is something uh, that I designed for rendering by an artist. Okay. Um, and there are some things like, you know, there's a specific symbol for the Divine Empire and there's a specific symbol for Aethon. Um, and, and so all that has to be sort of set down. One of the challenges generally is that, you know, you have art, artists, artists are influenced, you know, illustrators are influenced by whatever sort of the contemporary current is. And so you have a lot of people who are used to doing work in Dungeons and Dragons and in uh, MMOs and video games. So for example, one of the things, um, and, and Hal will chuckle at this if he ever hears it, is trying to convince people that just uh, some, because something is powerful or cool, it doesn't need to glow. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> And I've and I've gotten this across sometimes, and sometimes, sometimes I've lost that fight, right? Gotcha. But people, but you know, but if you look at MMOs, for example, right? I mean, any piece of cool technology or a spell, there's a glowing, you know, That's, particle effect or whatever. Yep. And and I think a lot of illustrators internalize this, and and they kind of toss it back at you. Um, 
And of course, sometimes it's perfectly fine, but sometimes you do want a specific thing. Like for threefold, a lot of the magical stuff can be a little more glowy, right? But then we have the psychic occult stuff, and that is more, that's supposed to have um, a darker kind of horror vibe. Um, The other thing that um, I've only done for threefold, but I've done it for projects. outside of Green Ronin before, is doing mood boarding. And I don't know if people are familiar with this. Um, A mood board is basically um, an actual or usually virtual um, sort of pin board where you put up a whole bunch of things uh, that you find online or whatever that represent a common theme. Um, And usually they also have a common stylistic and sort of color kind of plate right so okay. in so uh, so for threefold um you know a lot of the earth stuff for example is supposed to have um that kind of blue purple uh urban lighting you know what's called bisexual lighting in cinema <laughs> um a lot right that's Very good those are the earth those are earth's colors okay um it, whereas uh you know, for netherworldly stuff, uh, it's grays and deep reds, um, you know, and for other worlds, which are magical realms, you know, we do have the lighter blues and grays and things. And that's more of a, we have more of a traditional fantasy palette. So I can drill down really seriously into that or, you know, for things that are general modern age supplements, you know, I'll pull back a little. Fair enough. Um, Right, because because there's not going to be a specific setting. Though sometimes with a companion, uh, we did some steampunk pieces, and that was because one of the ideas is that for the most part, we kind of had uh, an example setting running through the book. Mm-hmm. That was that if you had this magical steampunk setting, here's how you would apply these rules in the companion. Right, so we wanted some accompanying illustrations for that. Um, and then, of course, we have art notes for each of the iconics. So we have a bunch of iconics uh, for modern age generally, and we have variations on those iconics and a few new iconics uh, for threefold. Gotcha. Sean is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Sean, Sean is great. Sean is sort of the personification of H.D. Uh, Ingham, who's worked on a number um or howard ingham um but they are uh, they are a bram stoker award-winning uh well sorry nominated uh film critic okay specializing in in folk horror um and uh they did a lot of the um a lot of the gm material in the modern age core in particular okay very cool as a non-binary so actually, person, I find Sean very important to me personally. But you know, yeah, me. each of the iconics is act. Each of the iconics actually has a canonical player who is a oh. freelancer um, <laughs> <laughs> on the on the modern age or a freelancer, someone who worked on the modern age core, uh, right? Um, and uh, Megan Fitzgerald, uh, who's an amazing uh, writer and developer. Um, she does uh, um, she does development for uh, Mage the Awakening and Changing the Lost Heronic's Path, um, and I'm really privileged to work with her. She uh, she's the uh, 
she's the iconic game master in uh oh good in most okay. modern ages and so we like right. to kind of I, I wanted that sort of hundred percent consistency because I really enjoy it in in games that I like that I read. Okay. Um, I can get behind that. But, I definitely can appreciate. But yeah, Shauna's our Shauna's our favorite. Um, Fantastic, because they are so distinctive and sassy. So, sass is definitely a word. Yes, I would use to describe <laughs> Sean. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we've talked uh, uh, plenty about modern age and some of the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I did want to talk about you a little bit. Uh, ask like uh, how you came to work with Green Ronin and what you were doing before that. Um, well, I started. Um, I started working in RPGs in. Uh, well, I started typing in 1999. Fair enough. Um, uh, because I corresponded with uh, Jesse Hennig, who uh, at the time uh, was just entering into developing Mage of the Ascension. Um, and Jesse liked some things that I had posted online, and he asked me if I wanted to work on a book. Um, and I, uh, I said yes, and there were some back and forths. And uh, that started me working on a number of books for the Mage of the Ascension line um, at White Wolf. Very cool. Um, and then the original World of Darkness uh, was exploded. Um, and I was involved in uh, testing, um, testing and writing and design for um, the new World of Darkness, which eventually was rebranded Chronicles of Darkness. Um, and I worked on Mage the Awakening um, and then, you know, in the process, I worked on a number of things, primarily for White Wolf, which became CCP slash White Wolf, um, whose uh, IPs were later licensed to Onyx Path Publishing, um, and so on and so forth. So gotcha. that sort of continuum of intellectual property. Uh, primarily working on Mage of the Ascension and then Mage of the Awakening, although I also did a bunch of work for uh, Changing the Lost, for um, Mummy the Curse, uh, for Geist. I worked a bit on the core book uh, for the first edition of that. It wasn't my best work. Um, a bunch of general World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness stuff. Um, I did a couple of things for Exalted. Um, outside of those IPs, I've done a little bit for, I did one book for Shadowrun um, and a little bit of stuff on, on Eclipse Phase um, and a couple of other projects, like it's north, it's somewhere around 90 credits now so I have trouble remembering them all That's fair. <laughs> but I was doing freelance writing um, for about yeah, for about 18 years, I think. Okay. Um, when uh, when I started talking uh, to the folks at Green Ronin and who I, Green Ronin, who I had known through social media for quite some time. Okay. Um, some of them from as far back as, as 2001. Um, and but the thing is, uh, I live in uh, in central Ontario. 
Canada. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, one of the barriers to taking on more responsibilities for me was that I was up here and I usually did not go to conventions. Gotcha. Um, because either I didn't have any money, because uh, when I started out, I was uh, a student, um, or I just didn't want to go. <laughs> I really like playing. I, I, I very much like playing with the established um, group of friends that I have here. So a lot of people I know like to go to conventions for like, well, I can play this game and I've owned it. I've always wanted to do it. And I'm like, well, I've got Tuesdays and Sundays and I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> but a friend of mine uh, from around 2002, he, he, was a convention organizer um, in the GTA. His name's Justin Moharab. And he really sort of taught me the ropes about doing things at cons um, and how to be a good panelist and uh, and sort of how to make the most of my experience. I started doing some conventions. Um, and then... Um, I think it was in 2016 I, I showed up for a gen con it's my second one i went to one in 2003 um where i didn't do anything in particular right but at this one um i was studying with nicole lindrews um and um and talking back and forth about you know well just generic stuff because so much of this stuff happens at bars and restaurants and things around the convention mm -hmm. instead of at the convention proper. Um, and sort of one thing led to another. And then uh, Chris Paramus uh, interviewed me um, and uh, asked if I would like to work on Modern Age. Um, and I said yes. And then they became sort of my primary uh, client, right? Okay. So, yeah. So I kind of run. I run things sort of as a as my own business up here. Um, but I base like the balance of my work is for Green Onion these days. Fair enough. Um, although I do take on the the occasional other project. In fact, I might I might be taking on another project soon. Um, <laughs> and and I will let you know about that. Uh, one of the things actually that I did. Um, that I think might be of interest is uh, is I did a lot of work on Storypath um, and on the Scion uh, Second Edition RPG. Okay. Uh, I did sort of the the base design document for task for task resolution and fundamental mechanics Storypath system. Um, Although I can't take total credit for that because it was, of course, iterated as these things are a couple of times. Um, and also modules for combat and character generation things were added, right? But, mm -hmm. but I did co-design that system. Um, and I also worked on some, you know, more setting-oriented stuff for first two Scion RPG books. Um, so that stuff that is, you know, actually out in current, that's not with Green Ronin that, that I involved. Um there's certainly some stuff in modern age that is an outgrowth of some design concepts uh, from uh, from working on Storypath, though. Very good. All right. Uh, well, I guess on that note, uh, 
We can ask the incredibly, perhaps unhelpfully, general question, uh, what is modern age? What is modern age? Modern age is an iteration of the age system, the adventure game engine, um, that is designed um, for games set in roughly the modern period, uh, which we sort of define as the 18th century to the plausible near future, right? Um, although supports for the extreme ends of these things are more limited than for kind of the heart of it, which I think would probably 20, 21st century. Gotcha. Is, is going to be where most of the meat of it is, but we have some limited support on the extreme. Um, I think a lot of people especially like using uh, Modern Age for near future games. Gotcha. Right? And it's especially because um, the Expanse, of course, um, was sort of designed with one eye on modern age um, and harvested a lot of its ideas. So it's very easy to mash modern age and the Expanse together very to good. sort of make a bespoke uh, science fiction game. Space age. So, space age. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to say we're not talking about it. Uh Fair enough. <laughs> so, but I can't really say anything more than that. Gotcha. Um, so it's uh, like all other age games. It's very com it's compatible, uh, more or less, mm -hmm. with uh, other adventure game engine uh, iterations. And yeah. uh, because this one can draw on so many genres, it is uh, incredibly customizable. I think, at least when I look at like fantasy age you can get into sort of like subgenres of fantasy or uh mm -hmm. with blue rose it's romantic fantasy but uh when you jump into modern age there's so much sort of like anything that happened uh, like since the 18th century there's so many forms of storytelling and so many genres and so many worlds that you could reach into that modern age uh can scratch uh can scratch a lot of itches I guess put it very well uh, gross. I think well, first of all, you you can't really have modern age without having the sort of design work done by Fantasy Age and Blue Rose. I mean, mm -hmm. Fantasy Age is kind of a gimme. With Blue Rose, certainly a lot of the relationship and social mechanics. Um, uh, modern age, modern ages uh, iterations of that take their prompt uh, mm -hmm. from Blue Rose because Blue Rose was strong in that area. Um, for customization, I think uh, I'm very happy with the way modes turned out. Yes. Um, because that was um, a lot of the stuff in modern age, really um, outlining it and outlining how it was going to work. Um, there was certainly a collaborative process where, you know, Chris Pramus and Steve Kenson um did so much cool stuff helping to, to hammer that down. Mm -hmm. um, the modes are mine. Uh, so I'm kind of happy that... Uh, you heard it here. That they sort of... Uh, that they've worked out. I know right now in my... Um, I play in a three-fold game. I don't run it, which is kind of neat. It's kind of right. neat to have somebody else uh, running your stuff. You. Uh, we do stuff in Pulpy. Um, and I think that's my favorite. It's a good middle ground. Uh, it is a good middle ground. Um, and it does 
you do get a real diehard feeling out of fights um, because usually you're pretty beat up at the end, gotcha. um, and and you need to you need to have a wee rest. Um, gotta take those breathers. Yeah, gotta take those breathers. So, uh, since we're talking about modes, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the modes. We got three modes uh, that come mm -hmm. uh, part and parcel with modern age. Uh, we got gritty, pulpy, and cinematic. Uh, and yeah. They, uh, depending on which one you pick, Modern Age seems to play very differently uh, in between the three. Yes, um, and you can mix up the modes too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, with Gritty, Gritty was basically like, you know, if you want to use this to get the kind of vibe that people often get from, say, GURPS, right? Gotcha. Um, you know, where you, you get shot and you go out you fall down, right? That's... Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's gritty, right? Um, and that is one thing that sort of prompted having sort of um, enhanced investigation and social systems mm -hmm. because I wanted there to be support um, in the kind of game where, you know, um, where violent drama is extremely dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and gritty is like that because, as you know, um, the health that you get at first level is it. In um, gritty, right? <laughs> um, and your toughness doesn't work on on uh, anything that's that's not stun, mm -hmm. right? So uh, unless you know, so if somebody isn't punching you, you could you could have a really bad day yeah. uh, if somebody isn't just punching you. So, you know, and there are a couple of adjustments too. One of the things that's sort of in there um, between the modes uh, is uh, it kind of embedded in the chase system. And this is something that I, that I, uh, that I always chuckle at when I remember it is that I wanted to do the, so in gritty, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody's chasing you in a car and you don't run into an alley, you, you get run over by the car because it's <laughs> yeah. faster. <laughs> However, if you watch a lot of movies, of course, miraculously people seem to be able to outrun cars, right? By decaying or doing something, right? Um, don't think about it too much. There will be a lot of quick cuts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to simulate that. So that's actually simulated in the chase rules where like um if you look at compared compared velocities between you know who's who's chasing who, um, when you get to pulpy and cinematic, right? It's just a modifier, and the modifier is like not as hard for cinematic because, of course, you know you you got to run away from tanks and helicopters, and things all the time. Tank copters in, or tank copters. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. So, uh, so there are a couple of little tricks uh, beyond just how tough you are, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The other wanna... thing too is that uh, you know things like you know the resources rules are slightly different between modes, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, and of course there are some adjustments for stunts too. Yes, uh, um, you know where you know. The, the shoot someone in the face stunt is a is a 
is a gritty stunt. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, but, it, but there was a limit to how gritty I wanted to make gritty. Like, um, right. because there's a difference between realism and, you know, first limitude, which is, you know, it's what is factual versus what has to, to borrow one of the great phrases of the 21st century has a, has a certain feeling of truthiness gotcha. to it. Right. So, you know, and that supply and there are pragmatic reasons too, like uh, for firearms combat. Right. Yeah. Um, how many times can you shoot someone in six seconds? Well, as many times as I can do this and count to six. <laughs> Theoretically, right? Uh, <laughs> now, could you imagine simulating that? There are games that do it. There's Phoenix Command. Phoenix Command uh, was designed by Barry Nakazono, who was a literal NASA rocket scientist. Oh boy. Like, I looked him up on LinkedIn, and he works at JPL. Um, and you know he simulate i think he did second by second rounds with like um with specific levels of wound penetration per bullet oh, all man. of this stuff wow and, and we don't we don't got time for that in in age so instead you know our shorthand for it is that you are assumed to shoot as many times as you can in your uh, round Right. Instead, of, like instead of 15 seconds, right? It's uh, is it 15 seconds, 15 seconds. This is what I get for playing DD on the side. Uh, <laughs> that's fair, yeah, I do that with Pathfinder. but yeah. Um, so you know, uh, so the stunt die represents that, right? So you add the stunt die to damage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it has that truthiness to it. Because, you know, in point of fact, uh, when we look at accounts of people shooting people and when you look at the research and things, right, generally uh, most shot fired miss um, <laughs> in a heated situation. So uh, it's kind of all right to abstract the number of bullets. Um Right, and it also follows on, where it has these good effects, where you know you don't really have to track ammunition so strongly anymore. I very much appreciated like that. that. Yeah. So there are a lot of little elements like that, and also the vehicle rules are you know naturally simplified because vehicles are extremely freaking complicated, um, and we didn't want people to worry about them too much. Mm-hmm. Now, although that is. Um, I don't have any specific plans, but I have had some thinking in mind about what to do with vehicles in the future, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have to, you know, some people will want more resolution for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And also there is, you know, there's a whole category of stories that are about people flying or driving things. Right. I mean, for sure. like the obvious thing is, you know, uh, mecha focused anime is one of them right but you also have you know your top gun stories and you know uh street racing you know i mean the most popular action franchise in the world is 
about people driving cars in increasingly improbable ways. <laughs> right? The fast, fast and furious. Oh, yeah. so, um, so there needs to be some support for that, right? For sure. And you want mode support for that too, because there's definitely a difference between how a car performs in uh, in a Fast and the Furious movie where it's being parachuted from a plane um, and the way a car performs in a John Wick movie. Mm. Right? Oh, John Wick. I think that is the most modern age-ist movie out there in terms of how action works. All right. Um, Some required love viewing that for you folks who want to do modern age. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Because that guy is, well, obviously he has a strong hit in the first movie. He, you know, he immediately, you know, and he had a lot of uh, empty relationship bond slots that he just absolutely put onto that dog. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Get a lot of stuff. Okay. Well, we're getting off track. What, what do you want to? What do you want to talk about next? <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> we we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but uh, the next uh, modes are pulpy and cinematic. Uh, oh which, yeah, pulpy and cinematic. Which yeah. kind of? So, uh, yeah. um, sorry. Go ahead. Pulpy is actually like. Well. The main thing for Pulpy, I think, is just the uh, the distinction between in action scenes, the distinction between guns and everything else, mm -hmm. with how uh, with how toughness is implemented. Gotcha. And the fact that you can take a bit of a beating. I would actually recommend Pulpy for um, the kind of action that you see in. Uh, in a lot of 70s and early 80s uh, Hong Kong action movies. Okay. Uh, a lot. Um, because those are movies where, you know, people often what you'll have, like, let's say in, uh, in a Kung Fu movie, uh, you know, you'll have the thing where, you know, two schools will have a rivalry and they'll have a fist fight. Um, and then somebody will bust out the swords, and then that's serious, right? Gotcha. Um, so, and then you'll, but then you'll have something like, say, Once Upon a Time in China, right? Where you know, at the in the finale, right, the the kung fu master is killed by colonial soldiers, right, and he is a master um, of uh, of the iron skin discipline, right? So he's been like he's deflected people's swords with his body Very good. up until the point, right? Um, but I was also thinking of you know classic detective type scenarios too, okay. right? Where um, where the hero's going to get roughed up a bit, right? But they'll be okay. But you know a gun. Uh, is a really decisive thing mm -hmm. um, in those situations. Gotcha. And also, I think too, it uh, it acts as a way to moderate so kind of some of the um, scaling things for uh, higher level games. Um, like pulpy, I think is, pulpy, I think is the version that scales best over levels. 
Okay. Um, right. Now, moving on to cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, cinematic is really, you know, the one where you you essentially want to play a a game with a heroic, almost heroic fantasy tone. Gotcha. Um, in the modern day. And uh, there are there aren't as many examples of that. I mean, it's more that there are moments in films that break credulity. Like, uh, I guess Skyscraper would be a gotcha. full-on cinematic movie. That, um, right? Because, you know, that's, that's the movie where he does the physics-defying jump <laughs> from the crane onto the building. Amazing. Like, by physics-defying, I think some, like, I saw a bunch of memes where like engineers were trying to figure out how you could possibly make that jump and kind of concluded it was impossible. Uh, <laughs> so, but not so. And that kind of brings up another thing. Like, mm-hmm. one of the things we can't really do is cover all the basis for how things work in different modes. So, certainly, if The Rock uh, jumping off a crane an improbable distance onto a burning building. Um, you will you should set the target number differently for him mm-hmm. than than if the rock was in something else, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, certainly, you know, in the Fast and Furious movies now are certainly full in full on cinematic mode territory, right? Fair enough. You know, where people do things that would get them terribly crushed. Right. Right. Uh, I love those movies, by the way. For sure. Um, un- unashamedly, uh, there's there's some really great stuff to them. But uh, but you know, certainly, once you are are getting outside of the realm of reality, where you know um, people are dragging giant safes on chains down roads. And using them as ball and chain weapons mm-hmm. from their vehicles uh, and things like that. That's when you're you're full on cinematic, right? Gotcha. Um, but there are some other tweaks in cinematic too. Like cinematic's the mode where your resources go up as you level, um, mm-hmm. because if you look at these kinds of games, like cinematic game, you know, or the cinematic sources for games, certainly, you know. They don't feature characters who are worrying about money a whole bunch, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, so we tried to reflect that as well. Okay. Uh, so, uh, just for a little bit of fun, uh, a couple of movies uh, that uh, might that you'd probably end up playing in modern age. I thought I'd get your opinion on what kind of mode you'd might play something like that in. Mm-hmm. Um, how about something like uh, Mad Max Fury Road? Oh, Fury Road? Ooh. Um, Seems like you okay. could make a... a, a I think you probably want to mix the pulpy and cinematic. Yes. I think what you would want is probably cinematic levels of health. Uh, Fair enough. Um, <laughs> maybe pulpy, uh, pulpy approach to toughness. Uh, you'd want to strip resources out Completely. Okay. Uh, because people are scrounging for water 
right? <laughs> um, uh, you might... Now, one of the things in modern age, one of the rules you might want to change for a game like that is the way modern age handles uh, ammunition, right? Gotcha. And I'm not thinking of Fury Road so much for this, although mm. it's, you know, Fury Road does get into it. But if you remember the Road Warrior, mm -hmm. uh, one of there's the, this great dramatic moment in the Road Warrior where Max is played by Mel Gibson at the time, has to recover these spilled shotgun shells, right? Okay. <laughs> that I think are on top of a moving truck, on top of the hood of a moving truck. Of course. Right? And they're like his last shotgun shells, like the last shotgun shells in the world, as far as he knows, right? Okay. So in post-apocalyptic games, certainly, certainly that's the kind of stuff worth considering. Okay. Um, now, uh, yeah, so I, I guess that would be... Uh, okay. That would be Fury Road for me. All right. Uh, how about uh, Die Hard? Oh, Die Hard's pulpy. Very good. It's, it's absolutely a classic pulpy mode thing, right? Because, okay. you know, he can, you know, he walks across broken glass and <clears throat> he takes some pretty bad falls. He gets beaten up, um, but he still keeps on trucking. But when terrorists start shooting at him, he, he has to run away. Yes. He has to take cover, right? So, you know, yeah, diehard, straightforward, pulpy. Okay. Uh, how about the Terminator? Oh, that's a that's an interesting one. Um, it's got some slightly fantastical stuff in it. So uh, you it's could... got some slightly fantastical stuff in it. Probably also pulpy. Mm -hmm. um, Unless you are playing you know, the Terminator. Although, yeah, I mean, it really depends on on how you run it. I mean, mm -hmm. and what you know for and who the protagonist is at the time, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the first movie is the Terminator is gritty, right? That's fair. Um, That's legit. You know, because the ter the like the titular Terminator is you know, really is unstoppable, right? Mm -hmm. It's a machine. Of course you're not going to have a shootout with it, right? right. Um, and then we get into Pulpy, right? And I don't know, like Sarah Connor's the protagonist of Terminator 2. And, you know, Sarah Connor is this probably like a high, like a mid-level or like, like, let's say like a six-level pulpy character mm. at this point, right? Fair enough. Um, and I'm not sure how I would handle John as a full PC. Yeah, in the right? first movie, maybe not. Like, John is like a companion type tag along kind of character okay um or uh, and uh who's sort of attached to attached to the main character and kind of shares their fortunes right fair enough so uh you know um and uh yeah and then the later movies start to get yeah, that starts weird and wacky. <laughs> that starts sliding um, and, more cinematic. And we don't have to comment on them ever. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah. Um Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
or the Indiana Jones oh, that, movies. Oh, that's pulpy. Okay. Right. Fair enough. There's nothing he like everything because nothing he does there. Um, nothing he does in Raiders is is a thing that's out and out impossible for a human. Okay. Right. Fair enough. But it's improbable. And certainly he takes more of a beating than a regular person could, you know, from everything, including when Marion flips the mirror and hits him in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, that just wouldn't be a romantic beat for me. I would be, I would be mad. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I would be mad and my feelings would be hurt. Um, although the one thing is I still, after all this time, I can't exactly tell you how he didn't die of exposure going to the submarine base. Right. You know, that's where the pulpy comes in, I guess. But, you know, we don't actually see it. All we see is some dots and a map going to this U-boat base. So, eh. Eh. Uh, I got one more. Uh, The Matrix. The Matrix. Oh, shoot. That might be one where actually the mode is different for different characters. Gotcha. That's right. Uh, Like certainly I think maybe. Yeah. The mains, the mains are going to be are. See, it's weird. Is it leveling or is it mode? (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. Because, you know, and also we're in an environment where people can gain experience by, you know, um, Finding getting the right into the simulator, right? So, uh, but certainly, like, there's no way it's not. There's no way it's not. Uh, it's not cinematic. In, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, for Neo, at least, um, yes. and certainly, heck yeah, I'm gonna go full. It's full on cinematic. It's just that uh, Neo gets a bunch of bonus levels, and it's. Re- Oh, looks like I lost him. Did you hear me throughout that? Because I, uh, I lost you for just a second. Yeah, because my uh, the app just rebooted on me. Let of me course. turn on the camera again. There we go. Um, all right. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, the Matrix is going to be all cinematic. Um. Uh, but for some reason, uh, somebody just let Keanu Reeves play a better character. I guess, than, yeah, you than know. everybody else. <laughs> so, a GM NPC, a GM NPC. Um, I've had good experience. Actually, we kind of have that. Um, my the fellow who jams me regularly mm-hmm. usually has a GM PC in there, and and it works pretty well because it just means that we have a supporting character that allows us to play whoever we want, okay, uh, without okay. looking, without being especially interested in <coughs> in an, uh, in having the right balance of abilities mm-hmm. or anything, right? Because we just make whoever we want to make. And if we end up being like radically incompetent at something, so be it. Steve will just make a character who can make sure we don't die. Very good. And then they play a supporting role. Fantastic. So. 
you know, there's a there's a good amount of security in that that I can get behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly that's distinct from the the GM showing up with someone who just solves the plot for you. Um, yeah. Legit. Or delivers patronizing lectures. Ugh. <coughs> I've read too many RPG horror stories about NPCs like those. Oh, I, you know, I've done, I've done the patronizing lecture thing, certainly. And I look back and I, I regret it. Um, my favorite story for being on that end of it, though, actually comes from playing um, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And uh, so our characters, in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, you're basically dirt farmers or variations thereof who've decided to seek out a life of grubby adventure. Like it is, uh, you know, it's not kind. It's, not a, kind. It's, a, it's a gritty fantasy game. Right. Gotcha. And, uh, so we meet this, this witch hunter, right. And, you know, it's set in the, the original Warhammer fantasy old world. So the forces of chaos are everywhere. Da, 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 da. And he lectures us about what we have to do it. And we say, well, no, uh, we would like to go rob people on the river and take their money. Um, and so he threatened our halfling character by holding her over a fire. Now, here's the funny thing about Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh -huh. It is not the kind of game where a high level or a character with a lot of stuff invested in them is that much tougher than a bunch of low-level characters who hate okay. it. Uh, like it <laughs> I can has see where this is going. For things like your weapon skill doubles if you knock someone on their back. Ooh. So we knocked him down and we gave this witch hunter a boot party. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And we left his unconscious battered form and the gym got real mad because we were supposed to go on a dark uh, dungeon adventure with him in the Darklands. Um, and he packed up his boots and left. Oof. Gotcha. <laughs> but I, I just remember, like, the the uh, GM is miming, moving this halfling over the so like, you know, um, <laughs> we can work this out. You have to do what I say for the forces of the Empire. And then we're just like, and we also mind doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And that was that. Um I think though, you know, we've gotten in a better place um as a culture of sort of identifying those those things, right? Certainly in design and I think in the way games are run too. But yes, modern age, we're talking about that. <laughs> right. Um so, uh kind of touched on it before and we don't have to go through all of these. There's cuz uh, modern age cover modern age can be used to cover a staggering number of genres uh, of adventure that you can have. Uh, yeah. You can do like the uh, the sort of action adventure uh, action movies if you want to do some, if you like uh, like the Born Identity or um, mm -hmm. you want or you want to go a little wild with the Matrix. Um, and you've got things like exceptionals, like a couple of people have special powers, and maybe you're one of those people, maybe you're not. Um, yeah. Maybe if you want to like have an alternate history or something took a turn. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a lot of cool options, uh, and uh, a lot of those options are, can actually be found in the basic rulebook, uh, and they are certainly not an exhaustive list. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and I'm I'm sure that there's plenty of them that you could smash together or uh, or um, uh, deconstruct for your own games. Uh, yeah, and all of them have suggestions for modes. Uh, were there? Uh, I guess I don't know if I want to say if there was like a favorite, but there was one. Was there? Were there any that were like particularly uh, exciting? I guess. I think I think the different writers had their various favorites. Let me refresh my memory. I happen to have the book right here because, as I said, I am I am doing some development of a of a modern age book right now. Gotcha. Let's take a look, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, like I know for uh, for HD and um, you know, it's full core is is really their favorite. Um, favorite genre, mm-hmm. you know, it's what they it's what they write about as a critic. Um, for me, uh, I am a big fan of urban fantasy horror um, and in uh, near future near future science fiction, yes. right? Which is why Threefold has all of those things in it, um, right? Because I I wanted something where I could mash all of those things together. I really uh, and uh, of course, you know, um, I quite like the uh, Lazarus setting, right? Yes. Uh, I didn't develop that. That was uh, Crystal Fraser. Uh, gotcha. fantastic de- developer um, whose usual thing is uh, is mutes and masterminds. Gotcha. Yeah, although she's uh, done some stuff uh, for modern age. She's done that and she worked on Threefold um, and she worked on the uh, one of the adventures in the Threefold Adventure series that's coming out on DriveThruRPG right now, Five and Infinity. Yes, uh, that one's called Midnight Gold, I think. Uh-huh. Something along those uh-huh. lines. Yeah, it's a casino in hell. Oh, very good. Gambling on souls in a casino in hell. It's Oof. great. Um, what a time to be not alive. <laughs> well, kind of. Like the way... The way the netherworlds work in threefold is mm. that uh, is that the people there are alive. Okay. Um, right. The netherworlds kind of exist to torture them into being depersonalized so that their soul can be processed in a certain way. Hmm. Um, for the ultimate betterment of the. Um, out of the uh, demon prince that that rules that particular plane. Oh yes, right. So, and they're the Draegor who are indigenous to the nether worlds, right? Gotcha. But you can live elsewhere, and things like that. So, um, I tend to be kind of like in working on settings with the supernatural, um. I tend to be vague about what happens to people when they die, because honestly, I did a lot of work in the world of darkness, and tracking the metaphysics of what happens when you die there is such a nightmare. And so 
And I think, I don't think it necessarily is in the world of darkness, but I do know that if you slice it up too much, it can really kill any sense of mystery and ambiguity. That's fair. Right? Um, now, to bring it back to modern age, certainly that was something, um, you know, having that mystery and ambiguity is sort of something on my mind, working on enemies and allies. Yes. Where we we kind of wanted to make sure that we provided possibilities instead of definitive answers for a lot of things. Um, enough of a structure to allude to a sense of there being some big mystery, but we don't provide solid answers to it, right? The solid so, answers come from your GM and your campaign. Yeah. Yeah, from your GM and your campaign, right? Oh, what were we talking about? Where did I just drag us from? <laughs> we were talking about uh, metaf <laughs> metaphysics uh, and the various oh, metaphysics in, in threefold. Um, and I mean, mm -hmm. when you're crafting your genre and your setting for modern age, um, a lot of those things you might have to think about. Yeah, especially if you're going to be doing well, that... things involving like urban fantasy or uh, or some, or maybe some existential dread. But yeah, well. Modern Ages design philosophy is really that we provide tools for you to make specific adjustments to the game, right? And the core has some of this with the modes, obviously, and with some other things. <clears throat> um, and the companion is the big book for that, right? Um, that is the big book of, of game-tweaking tools. So if you want to be an elf, that's where you go to be an elf. Um, if you want a game that focuses on martial arts. Um, that's what you want to do and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. The mastery guide is going to return to that a little and we're okay. going to have a couple of, of new elements in there. Um, like one thing is uh, is the rules for dramatic murder um, that are in the mastery guide, right? Well... <laughs> These come from Jack Norris, right? Who was a past Fantasy Age developer, right? Gotcha. And they're now in the and it was originally sort of based on looking at some of the stuff in the companion about explosives, right? Oh man. Um <clears throat> but sometimes you don't wanna like calculate every little bit of effect. You just want it to have a dramatic effect. So Jack came up with this very simple system. <clears throat> for having explosives work in a purely dramatic fashion. Mm -hmm. The thing is, it just works for all kinds of things where, you know, you just want someone to die or a bad thing to happen, right? Oh, Without getting too much into detail. Um, gotcha. So that sort of... The, so I kind of took that, and this is part of what development is, right? Mm -hmm. Is that I read something, I go, man, this is a cool idea. It would be even cooler if we could apply it in these additional ways. Um, so, you know, we have sort of the, you know, the dramatic murder rules, um, which work nicely for, you know, oh, murder mystery type things. Gotcha. Oh, for sure. Uh, murder mysteries and assassination plots and things like that. Get some Agatha Christie adventures. Mm -hmm. Well, my... My personal thing is is uh, Midsummer Murders, right? Okay. I love watching that show um, because that's a show where 
like people all live in this village and they're killing each other over petty things like disputes over how the local church's steeple is going to get rebuilt. Hmm. <clears throat> and it's always these sort of like pretty mild mannered countryside Brits who just rack mm -hmm. up this incredible body count. Starting to sound now it's funny, <laughs> but, uh, um, but it's also interesting because it's got, you know, when I look at media inspirations, um, I often look at how they behave structurally so I can take ideas from them. So there's a structural way in which people get killed on that show that's interesting to me, okay. right? And so when I see that structure, I'm like, how can I make that happen in the game? Um like, I'm not the only person who does this, of course. I mean, mm -hmm. um, breaching tests, for example, uh, in modern age. Let's talk about breaching tests. Right now. I really like <coughs> breaching tests. Well, you should thank Crystal for them. Really? All right. Yes, because Crystal uh, originally invented them uh, for the Lazarus book. Okay. And I like them so much that I asked take them out of the Lazarus book and put them in the modern age core because they were being done at the same time. Very good. I use them all but the time in the fantasy really, age game. Yeah. But they're a really good reflection of sort of risky staged things and heists and stuff like that, right? Sure. And I'm, I'm very pleased at having their kind of addition uh, having them being added to to age, sort of as a general asset, for sure. Uh, Modern Age definitely uh, introduced, I think, a lot of stuff for age games that um, I, of course, me even me with me running a fantasy age game, I have borrowed from this Modern Age book so very much. Uh, we're uh, especially because we're just about to go into a negotiation kind of scene and a couple in a session or two. Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely needed to start diving into the uh, ludicrous number of stunts that are available in modern age. Uh, that grew, off, <laughs> yeah. uh, grew off the stuff that was already kind of in existence and adjusted things for a more modern setting. Um, yeah. But I did uh, kind of decide to do to err on the side of a lot of stunts because stunts are just the thing. <laughs> that make age pop as a system. Yes. Yes. Now the challenge that I introduced is of course people have trouble picking stunts in play, which is why you have some of the ones that are marked off as core stunts and why chapter two doesn't show you all the stunts. Yes. Yes. Right. Um but I wanted to kind of trust players to to build up a familiarity with how the stunts work. Now, if this is, isn't something that is working for you, um, that's why we have the general stunts in the companion. Yes. Yes. Right? Um, and that is actually something, <clears throat> that's something I put in the outline, uh, Megan Fitzgerald designed it, um, but I usually copy that uh, sheet out and I just add it whenever I run the game. Okay. Because it's just a, it's such a good set of general guidelines for stuff. Very good. Very good. Um but yeah, I also I, I do like the fact that we have a nice robust selection of social stunts because also the application of stunts makes it makes actions feel a little more alive and present. 
Yes. At the table. Yeah. And and having that be available for uh, combat, but not so much for other things. Right? It's you not as if every needs the same number of spells, but there should be enough to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one thing I want to point out too is uh, is a lot of people are very strict about uh, what box of stuff should come from, like what mm-hmm. table it should come from based on your action. And I just want to say that to people who are playing or running Modern Age, if the explanation is good enough, take it from any table you want. Um, I've had people use uh, firearm as a social stunt for making an entrance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> that actually happened when I ran Warflower for my group. Um, and that's um, an adventure that's available in PDF. Uh, from the Green Ronin store or or drive through, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's an adventure starting characters um, that isn't attached to a particular setting or anything. Yes, um, so. and that was actually the one that I designed um, for the initial introduction of Modern Age. It was the adventure that was given to freebooters um, okay. to run. Uh, and since then, it's been you know cleaned up and tweaked a bit, and it's not just this word doc that I threw out there um, for people to use that is. But uh, but yeah, uh, you can use um, you can use any stun if the explanation's good enough. For sure. Please do. You can get a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. I always remind my yeah. Dragon Age players that Flirt is available. Yeah. <laughs> um, I very much appreciated the addition. Uh, there's a lot of little, like, a little things that were thrown into the Modern Age book that I very much appreciated because they really weren't present in some earlier Age games. And Age is kind of an evolving system, so we're trying out new things and seeing new stuff come out with a lot of books. Uh, I definitely recommend that folks, uh, even if you're, if you want to play only modern age, I definitely still recommend, uh, grabbing another age book or two to see what you can, uh, borrow from it. Um, one of the things that I was very happy for was cooperation rules. Uh, and it's, it's just like a couple of paragraphs, but man, it really helped me out. Yeah. It was just one area where we were talking about it in the context of breaching and a couple of other things. And uh, and yeah, it was just a thing that needed to be done. And it's not in fantasy games; it's not such a big deal mm-hmm. because generally, uh, fantasy adventure is a little more structured, and their concerns are immediate. And it's weird; a lot of things change in a fantasy game because. In a typical fantasy game, you are not embedded in a complex society that you are accountable to. Yes. In an unambiguous way, right? Like, sure, there's the town watch, but you shoot one of them with a crossbow crossbow and you run away. Then you go to the next town. They're like, stranger, greetings. Now, that's not the way it actually happened in the Middle Ages, but that's the way it happens in fantasy games. Right. It's okay. Um... However, when characters are more socially situated, it means they have to work, tend to have to work together on things more. Mm-hmm. 
and often on unexpected things instead of things like working, not just diffusing the bomb, um, but things like uh, finding out who has the information at a party um, without making a fool of yourself or attracting police or anything like that. Right. So you have a lot more of these sort of situations in modern games. That's fair. Uh, so, uh, we talked about breaching. I very much love breaching. Mm -hmm. I use it all the time. Uh, and, uh, I also very much appreciated the, uh, uh, expansion on some, uh, social, uh, encounters. Breaching is very good for, like, exploration, for, uh, uh, adding some robustness to exploration encounters. Um, and with attitudes and interactions, uh, you can sort of, uh, make social encounters as complicated, uh, or as simple as you need them to be. Uh, based on your part, based on your adventure's needs. Well, that's the thing, right? I wanted to make sure that there were two settings for this because you don't want people to have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You do attitude shift every single time. Sure. But sometimes you do want it. <coughs> and instead of trying to fight a losing battle to design something that appeals to all people, just say, sometimes you want to do this. Sometimes you want to do this, and that's what works, right? Sometimes it takes one test, and uh, sometimes if you want to make it the entire scene, then you can make yeah. it a bunch of tests. And that's how investigations work, too, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you can certainly say that one test gives you the information, you move on. Or you meet this particular character, you get the information, you move on. But we have options for more, should you want it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, modern games would definitely jump into that uh, perhaps a bit more than, say, like a romantic fantasy game that doesn't really want to get super bogged down about maybe uh, uh, like how well you handled perhaps some of the forensic evidence that you did that you discovered uh, at the crime scene. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. And one thing I have to note, too, is certainly. I have to give a shout out to um, Robin Laws and Gumshoe for uh, really clarifying what investigation means in a kind of narrative dramatic sense. Okay. Because one thing you'll note is that in the investigation rules, there's gonna there are guidelines for things like you know if they need to know it, you tell them, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And you should have, you know, and you should routinely use situations like, well, anybody who has this focus will know this piece of information when they're in this situation, mm -hmm. right? Um, because there's just a limit to how effective rolling to earn something is. That's fair. Right? And, the, and there's a point, you know, and if it's stopping the flow of play, instead Definitely. of creating... Instead of creating sort of a branch, um, if it's just sort of stopping things, then you know things are not going great. Now, <laughs> now that branch doesn't always need to mean that that you win, uh, that you you figure it out, um, but it should take you somewhere interesting mm -hmm. at least. So, for sure. But yeah, I, I'm I'm quite pleased that uh, 
that that stuff ended up working out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Although, in terms of the investigation rule, the Expanse actually has a better system of notation for how to write about an investigation okay. than wow, okay. in the modern age core managed to have as an example. So look at the Expanse. And this is one of these things that actually happens with uh, developer interaction, working mm-hmm. on games, is that we'll bounce these ideas back and forth, and then so- one person will improve on another person's ideas. For example, and Modern Age and the Expanse have a particularly close relationship as far as these things go. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, for example, uh, I am, am quite envious of the... Uh, of the weapon quality rules in the expanse or item quality rules um, in the expanse, right? Which is why um, they're being adapted for the uh, for the mastery guide. So modern age is going to get them uh, too, along with a couple of tweaks for modern age, right? Very good. The other neat thing is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the churn in the expanse. Yes, uh, I got to talk with uh, Ian Lemke on an episode a little while ago, uh, and mm-hmm. the churn is a very, uh, a very curious and very uh, exciting pe- uh, part to put into a game. Well, well, here's the funny thing: when the churn was in mid-design, um, it wasn't super specific on its effects. And there was a conversation. Well, how are we gonna are we gonna do this, right? And I went, well, you know, I I kind of borrowed the churn. I kind of admitted I kind of borrowed the churn and put it into the companion. I made these changes to it. Ah. Right? So a version of the churn is in the modern age companion. Uh, and then they took that back and transplanted it back into the expanse, right? So basically. I took the draft system and I iterated on it, and then they took it back and they iterated on it, and now we both have it. Very good. Yeah. You see that with a couple of other age games, uh, like how yeah. they were originally writing. I, and I believe I got this from Jack Norris a while ago that uh, relationships were originally written to be in Dragon Age, uh, but Dragon mm-hmm. Age books, but like Faces of Thetis took some time to come out, uh, and Blue Rose was mm-hmm. on the way out. So it got to be in Blue Rose first. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I was certainly happy to have um, those rules along with reputation and membership just ready to pork. Yes. <laughs> right into modern age, especially because, as I said, um, you know, modern games tend to be socially situated. Yes. We have a lot more. So who you uh, are context. and who you know uh, matter a bit more than if you're a wandering medieval-ish adventurer. Fair enough. So, uh, of course, uh, for you folks listening at home, there's plenty of things that we're not going to be touching on today because uh, you should you should probably go get the book. Modern Age is really, really cool, and you should go check it out. It's got a lot of fun toys. Oh, in it. <laughs> um, and uh, speaking of the Modern Age basic rulebook, uh, we find it... Uh, we, we thought we would go ahead and ask um, for folks maybe who haven't gotten into it yet and are now interested, what would they like? What, uh, what is available to grab to get started with modern? What is available to grab Uh, a whole bunch of stuff now. Now, if you don't want to get a particular setting, Mm -hmm. 
Um, the <clears throat> the books that are kind of constitute modern age's core books um, are the uh, basic rule book, which is really everything you need. Mm -hmm. But if you want more than everything you need, that's still core. The next thing is the companion, which I don't have a copy of with me in front of me right now. So I'm <laughs> holding on my empty hands. Um, it's on a shelf. Uh, and the companion has a bunch of optional rules that cover everything from having characters with powers, um, having characters who aren't human, to tweaking things for specific genres, um, and so on and so forth. It is an extensive book of expansions, um, uh, new talents and specializations, um, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, optional number rules. So many things. So many things. Um, there's a lot of stuff in that companion. We'll probably be taking a later episode to uh, just like give folks a sample of what's in it. There's just there's so much to cover. And our monster book is Enemies and Allies. And Enemies and Allies is divided into chapters, and each chapter um, sort of presents um, people and creatures. Uh, some of them are specific characters, specific individuals. Um, and some of them are, uh, you know, things you can meet multiples of, mm -hmm. and they're split up by genre, right? So we have a modern fantasy chapter, we have a horror-oriented chapter, we have a crime, crime and cops-oriented kind of chapter. Mm-hmm. We have one that is for, you know, your sort of your kind of characters that you need in action movies who are sort of the best at what they do. Um, paramilitary type experts and things like that. Very good. And of course we have um, you know, a, you know, science fictional uh secret or near future technology type characters, right? Very good. So if you want an unstoppable oh cyborg, um who can be stopped if you're tough enough, I guess. Uh, it's in there, um, you know, and so is a ghost and things like that. We tried not to do too many classic creatures mm -hmm. just because, first of all, we know other age books have them. Um, yes. And, oh, yeah, there's an appendix on how to convert uh, entries uh, back and forth between modern age and Blue Rose and Fantasy Age. Yes. So it can be useful. Oh, and there's a set of instructions for building NPCs of your own um, and some stuff on animals at the end. Very good. Oh, and yeah, put a lot in that book. And there are optional rules at the beginning of each chapter about tailoring <coughs> your game to a particular genre that that chapter represents, right? Mm -hmm. So for the horror chapter, there's stuff about you know being corrupted by the influence of evil and uh, getting spooky psychic impressions from things, and in the fantasy chapter there's stuff in places of power and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, Very right? Good. And in the crime chapter there are rules for heat, which is how much the the cops or mm -hmm. or an organized crime are looking for you. So that is sort of the that's the book that you draw. People to have conflicts <laughs> without of, and those are kind of the the three books that are 
kind of core line releases, and they're going to be followed up uh, with um, the mastery guide, which is sort of our GM's guide, but it's also a guide for players too, right? Um, and it includes more high-level stuff on how to play and run the game. Um, and we are hoping to have that out um, next year. Very good. And then after that, a kind of core thing will be Modern Age Powers. Um, I'm very curious. Which about that. is, yeah, which is, uh, and that the uh, the lead designer on that is actually Steve Kenson. I'm developing it, but <coughs> he's done the lion's share of the work. And there's some great stuff. There's uh, there's a free form. Um, come up with effects on the fly uh, system, uh, thaumaturgy, and uh, some extended power stuff, a whole bunch of uh, weird items uh, that come, and that's actually the chapter I'm working on now, developing that are, you know, come from, there are multiple sources, uh, magic, psychic, uh, alien, and enigmatic, I think, of the category, on technological. So we have five possible ways they can come from. And each time we present an entry, we have its origin, but then we have some possible other origins. So if you like this item, but you really wish it was a piece of technology, right, mm -hmm. uh, there might be a, a note on that there. Um, now, and of course, we have the GM's kit, which is a screen. Um, and some plays um, that cover some major rules, stunt tables, things like that. Um, and the screen's pretty durable, too. Uh, for Now, if you do want a setting, we, kind of, we have two options right now. And one of them, of course, is uh, Lazarus, which is based on the Greg Rucka, Michael Lark comic. And it's amazing. Crystal, like I said, Crystal developed that one. <laughs> and it is uh, essentially a future setting where um, after multiple calamities, the families behind the richest corporations uh, re recreate the world into a uh, collection of feudal states run by them. Um, and the the Lazari, who the, the game is named after, are uh, are these uh, super soldiers um, who are augmented via various means to kind of act as their representatives in these low intensity proxy wars gotcha. that the families have. Uh, Lazarus is a great comic. Um, its follow up, Lazarus Risen, actually has some information for modern age in it ah. in the Lazarus uh. setting. Crystal did a couple of things um, that are in the back of those issues. Very cool. So that's something to check out. Um, our flagship house setting, which is sort of like... Hmm. How do I put this? Uh, you know how in D&D, right, you have... Mm -hmm. You've had a thing where, you know, D&D doesn't have a setting, yeah. but there's a setting that works best with D&D. Mm -hmm. In various editions, in third edition it was Greyhawk. Um, in fourth edition, I don't think it was any setting in particular. Mm -hmm. um, and in uh, 
in fifth, I think it's the realms now. I think so, yeah. I'm not mistaken, yes. So that's kind of what threefold is to us, right? You don't have to, you know, threefold is not the assumed setting for modern age. However, it is the setting where we try and make sure everything in modern age is compatible with it. So that includes the creatures and enemies and allies um, and some of the items that are going to be in powers and things like that. Now, uh, threefold is, you know, KO my desire to have a setting where you could play pretty much anything Modern Ages rules allowed you to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so the premise of threefold is that Earth is... Uh, Earth, the Earth we know is one of many Earths, um, many parallel Earths, and those are in turn connected through gates to other worlds and nether worlds, which are um, magical dimensions and dimensions that are also magical, but you don't want to go to them generally. <laughs> Good uh, magic and mean magic. Yeah, magic and mean magic, yeah. So the idea is that the gates between worlds, they're stable and they're hard to close. And so as a result, you have these, uh, you know, you have these states that spread across multiple planes through these gates. Um, And uh, so you have uh, the Vitain, which is sort of, you know, basically, I think a lot of it comes out of my fandom for Star Trek. They're kind of the federation of the setting. Gotcha. Um, and one of the default uh, groups that your characters join is uh, the Sodality and the Sodality are the people who will explore the planes and solve problems um, you know and, uh, and so on and so forth. And you also have Aethon who are kind of the high tech uh, often post-humanly augmented agents um, who make sure that Earth doesn't get too weird or blow up. Although sometimes they go to alternate Earths and blow them up uh, in a process called deletion, right? Mm. So the idea is, is you have this big setting, um, and but you also have set factions and agendas that are working with it. Instead of it being more of a hands-off, well, what if you could travel a parallel universes thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, this one has a little more structure. Gotcha. Right. Um, and there's, you know, there's a big overarching backstory, but it's also designed so that you don't have to pay too much attention to it, and you can introduce it in stages. I think ideally, if I could run threefold for people who knew nothing about it, I would probably start on Earth. And I would reveal nothing about the setting for a couple of months of play, Ooh. at least, and let it kind of be a slow burn, and then have the reveal. Um, and the reveal just might be that you know, uh, high technology conspiracies exist and magic exists, and you don't even have to talk about the existence of other planes. There's plenty to do on Earth, right? So okay. I think I could, I could easily run threefold for a year or two without letting people know that gates exist. Um, however, I recognize that people won't necessarily want to do that. So, of course, you know, when we have the five infinity adventures, 
Um, like pretty much in the second round, you step through the gate. <laughs> so, um, and so yeah, those are the kind of uh, hardcover things made of matter that are available for modern age. Very good. Um, in terms of things not made of matter, um, we have modern age missions. Uh, Warflower is in, uh, which are adventures that aren't particularly setting dependent, um, although. Couple of them are for various reasons. Warflower is the uh, is the one that's out now. Uh, Feral Hogs is the one that's coming out next week. Yes, very good. We have stooped low enough to have an, to make an adventure based on a meme. Yes, it's about um, time. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Actually, it's not. It was uh, Feral Hogs is actually based on um, a one shot that was run. Uh, by the, the Dice Priory streamers, uh, Chase Schneider and Matthew Foreman. Um, and they looked like they were having such a blast running this thing. Um, I reached out to them and said, well, do you want to write it up for us? Amazing. Uh, <laughs> and they said, sure. So so now we have a Feral Hogs adventure set in a post-apocalyptic America. Um where you you know uh, travel through you know with powered powered by energy drinks um, and big trucks and guns, uh, you travel to what may or may not be a, a post-apocalyptic distribution center for a very large e-retailer, um, which has been turned into a fortress, oh uh, and then from there, of course, you go and. Take care of them feral hogs. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. I'm definitely going to have to check that one when it comes out. Yeah. Um, for Threefold specifically, uh, we have Five and Infinity, which is our adventure series. Um, these are loosely linked adventures, so they can be a campaign, but they don't have to be. Um, there are some, you know, recurring season things we were originally going to release that as like i said as um hardcover book but then covid19 happened um so for now we we are going to release it as a hardcover eventually um but for now it is uh it's being released as a pdf series um probably by the end of the month the final part of it which is the high level adventure um will come out but it's got, there's a great series. And there's also uh, Jesse Hainig, who I mentioned earlier, is the person who got me into the industry. Mm -hmm. He uh, he wrote this great thing for uh, generating adventures with a series of tables. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and it's just uh, it's just one US dollar um, to, to get this thing. And it kind of it gives you the it sort of auto generates the basic outline of an adventure for you through a series of tables. Very cool. Yeah, it's quite it's quite neat. Um, when the hardcover comes out, there's actually going to be Steve Kenson produced a way for creating planes using a similar method. Very good. And that is a thing that is hardcover exclusive um, right. for that. Um, but the adventures take you can take you to sixteenth level Ooh. from first. Goodness, yeah. So we there are kind of two introductory adventures. Uh, there's hunting night, 
Um, and there is um, the Dreaming Crown, uh, which are the low-level ones. Uh, then we have the Soul Trade, mid-level one, uh, Midnight Gold, Casino in Hell. Uh, that's the higher-level one. And then there's Threshold of Apocalypse, which is uh, Megan's Adventure, which is sort of a, the kind of crowning. Very nice. Uh, and it starts... It starts with a big event too. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love, like again, to go back to, to loving Star Trek, like if you read the jamming uh, chapter that's by Megan in Threefold, right? Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things we talk about is speculative fantasy, and the idea is that you know you may have these problems that come from weird sources, right? Mm-hmm. They could be technological, magical, whatever, right? But the idea is that you revolve the game session around making these problems that you can work out rationally, right? And that's the speculative element, right? It is the what would you do reasonably in this situation, right? So in classic Star Trek, right, you know, you have like, well, we've gone to this planet and everybody's acting like a gangster. What do you do in this situation? Um, or, you know, uh, what if you go back in time and fall in love with someone who needs to die for the future to turn out right, right? So we have these, but the thing is you don't really need a science fiction premise for that, right? So part of, uh, so some of the adventures, um, and we provide the guidance in threefold generally, but some of the adventures in five and infinity kind of try and cleave to that. And threshold of in a very big way. Um, so, and I can't wait to talk about it more because Megan did a bang up job on it. Very nice. So that is everything. That's that's what we got. Um, very good. Oh yeah, and there's and yeah, upcoming. There's the mastery guide and powers. Um, and oh, I'd like to tell you about a book that's happening right now too, but I don't talk about releases until I get second drafts. Fair enough. Just in case something explodes. But but it's pretty cool what's coming that Excellent. I haven't said yet, which I'm sure is a nice waste of time for everyone listening to this. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess as some like uh, closing little questions that I kind of threw in here that um, uh, if you are unable to answer this one because it is part of a future volume that we are not allowed to talk about, uh, is there anything that you would uh, like to do for Modern Age in the future? Anything I would like to do for Modern Age in the future? Well, there's one, there's one project for Modern Age not by me that had to be put off. Um, and I'm I'm hoping we can get it back on the schedule. Um, there are more modern age missions coming. Um, okay. Megan Fitzgerald is actually going to be uh, developing those. Very cool. Um, I wouldn't mind having some juicier vehicle rules um, for people who like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we haven't quite got there yet. Um, I have to find a good design solution for it. Uh, 
Oh, there are licenses I would love to have, obviously. Fair right? enough. Like, like I said, like John Wick is the modern ageist movie in terms of of Sorry, it happened again. Oh, you're fine. We got it. All right. Um, what would I like to do? Um, I'm not sure. Modern Age has really turned out well. I think probably more setting. I wouldn't mind doing um, something espionage-oriented. Very nice. And I wouldn't, and we did have plans for a historical book. Okay. Uh, where we would just have uh, different periods of history um, and special rules for them and things. Okay. And I think that would be cool to get back to. Um, I am, I have a particular fondness for some 18th century stuff. Very good. Um, and certainly it is, you know, uh, you know, there's it's the period of the Seven Years' War, which is the first global war. Um, and uh, there are so many fascinating things. And uh, it's also one of those things where, you know, um, since I'm not American, um, you know, the, the way we look at it in Canada is a lot different than the way it's looked at. Um, in the u.s and i think there's a lot to be gained uh from from mashing up those perspectives and seeing what falls out okay <coughs> um maybe I, you know i've always loved horror and i wouldn't mind doing a straight up horror setting but and one and we we have one project that certainly can fulfill that, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it is focused on a very specific subgenre of horror, and I wouldn't mind doing something a little broader. Okay. Too. Um, I mean, settings especially. I could do new settings forever, right? Oh, and fair. but the thing is it doesn't make economic sense to like produce tons and tons of books that require significant buy-in, right? A lot of because when we ask you to pick up a setting, we're asking you to wed your ideas for um for running a game uh to this to this thing that we've produced. That's right fair. for an extended period of time right so that's a big ask and and i get that and and i try to make sure that when we entertain things for that it really is something that is worthwhile for you when you gotcha. pick it up right that's fair um it's not as if like well normally we just toss out any old crap it's not like that but it's just that there's an extra there's an extra sense of obligation mm -hmm. when we ask you to kind of wed your imagination to ours, if that makes sense. Um, so we so we try a little a little harder as far as that goes. Um, 
So I would love to do a horror setting in the abstract, but it would have to be a really bang up idea. Um, Fair enough. And uh, I don't want to waste your time, you know, so. <laughs> well, I, we appreciate it, I suppose. Thank you. <laughs> Some ethical role-playing game supplement writing. Well, oh, well, I mean, it depends, right? I mean, mm -hmm. here's the thing. Um, by and large, the most popular thing to produce is uh, new options for uh, characters, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody at the table um, has an interest in getting them. Um, unlike adventures, where the audience is GMs, mm -hmm. right? And uh, setting books have sometimes have that limitation too. Um, <coughs> so theoretically, you know, we could. I'm sure, you know, if I were a different sort of developer, um, we could just churn out, like, you know, here's another book with nothing but talents in it. Uh, <laughs> and that would be fine. But, I mean, there's a certain amount of integrity, too, that, that you have to have, right? Or else it's just not going to look good. One of the things that always... Um, one of the things I always wrestle with is how much um, I, I make people need things other than the core book. And I try to make sure that the answer is not at all. Okay. Right. Okay. However, the disadvantage with that is that we have to repeat ourselves. That's fair. Right. <laughs> so, you know, um, so the Lazarus book has some organization rules and the companion has organizational rules. So, but one of the things I try to do to ameliorate that is that I make sure that if there are design innovations that they go in whatever new iteration there is. Right. Yes. So the companion organization rules have some, uh, some elements that evolve from, from the systems that came out in Lazarus, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. So we do want to, we don't want you to have to buy, you know, a chain of three books before you can understand this next book. Fair enough. Because that's annoying for you. Um, and and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for us because, you know, it's a game. It's not a comic book subscription, right? Right. <laughs> um, but it does mean that sometimes we have to put stuff that we've put in before, but I at least try to make sure that there is something new. Um, so that's where we are. Anyway, good. I guess. Is there anything else? No, I think I'm. I think I'm fresh out for now. Uh, I right. really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I, I hope you get the chance to have you on again because this was fun. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thanks yeah. for letting me go on. Um, you can always stop me next time. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for having me. Time. Absolutely. Thank you. As we close our show, we want to give a big shout out to the folks at Sirenscape for the sound effects and music that you heard on the show. The Sirenscape app creates these gorgeous sound sets in real time, and you never get the same sounds twice. Download it now, and you get 10 free sound sets without paying a silver or even creating a login. 
Check out Sirenscape, friends, because your epic games need epic sound. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our Patreon. Anything you can contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog and in the post for the show. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on our social media. We encourage you to leave a comment or a question or even tell us how your age games are going. Feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud, and if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series. 